If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, I'm delighted to bring you part two of our conversation with Kevin Chase, search consultant extraordinaire and CEO of Kevin Chase Executive Search Group. I hope you heard part one in which Kevin and I talked about preparing for a long-term career in nonprofit leadership. Kevin shared skills you should develop if you're hoping to become a CEO in the future, as well as how to make the most of volunteer and board positions and mentoring relationships. Today, he and I are going to take a look at what it takes to stand out if you're ready to apply for the next level of organizational leadership, whether that's CEO or the position right before that. Our conversation takes on a philosophical flavor at times, but we get right back to business when we talk about negotiating salary. Let's jump into this second part of my conversation with Kevin Chase. So let me ask you, once someone's at a point in their career, you know, they're throwing their hat in the ring for possible chief executive positions. And, you know, they're, they're one of maybe five or six candidates that's actually getting an interview. What can candidates do to kind of rise above the din of all the other candidates? Besides, of course, you know, acrobats and, you know, all that. You're talking about someone who is applying for the executive director or chief executive role. And, you know, they're, they're one of maybe six candidates that are getting an in-person interview. Well, I think in particular, if you're interviewing with, with, the org- with the hiring organization, which is a little bit different than interviewing like with me or someone like me, but if you're interviewing for a hiring organization, the way to stand out is to come to the table having really done significant homework about the organization. Like enough that you know what the challenges are, what the opportunities are, maybe some of the history, an understanding of what the programs are and who they serve um, is, I think, is really the way to to stand out. I mean, most people, when they're hiring at very senior levels, are looking for someone who can help bring the organization to the next level. So if you have a sense of what next level looks like, I think like even if it's not quite right, 
a candidate who comes to the table and says, I have thought through this, I've looked, you know, I've looked at your financial information, I've looked at your program information, I've talked to some people who used to work here, I have I attended an event that you all had, or I visited one of your program sites, like that investment, and 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 having learned all that, here's I think a possible direction. Again, even if it even if it is not a hundred percent on the money someone who can demonstrate that level of thoughtfulness about what the, um, again, the challenges and opportunities are, is always going to stand out. Um, I also think that the more you can, one can let her, his, their kind of humanity, who they are as a human being, shine through in interactions, that's the secret sauce, I think, in, in a lot of situations. Because if you are at the point where you're finalist on a search, chances are, in terms of skill set and competency, like you know what I mean? You're, we're talking about a group of people, any of whom can do the job, so then it's how is this person going to do the job? And you know, 80% of whether you, whether you make it or fail in an organization has everything to do with your EQ, with how you show up with people, with how you are in the situation than it is with what's on your resume. Kevin, I could not agree with you more. Like, I, I think it's so incredibly important to be authentic in that interview because that's kind of a fit test for the board. So if the board just doesn't like who you are for whatever reason, you know, you rub them the wrong way or you're too task-oriented or you're not task-oriented enough or whatever. Then don't go to work there. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. You know, you want to be really clear about that up front so the board can weed you out because you're not a good fit and there's no fix for fit. You know what else is really important to remember? Again, we're, this is my, my, my worldview is really for senior level executives, but there's this thing where... And if in order to be successful, you have to show up in a job a way that is inauthentic to who you really are, like you will burn out quickly, even if you're successful, you'll burn out quickly. Like, so let's, let's say that inside you really, really, really are an introvert, right? In all the classical sense, you have learned over a long career how to behave extrovertedly in situations because it's required or because um, it is appropriate. And that's fine. You can do that for a portion of the day or, or in certain groups. But if your job requires you to be an extrovert all day, every day, around people, on, 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 outside, meeting with stakeholders, meeting with coalition partners, meeting with donors, meeting with, you know, and inside you are not that person, but you tried to show up as that person because you thought it would serve you, then it's it's that is a recipe for disaster because we can we can train ourselves to behave that way but if it's inauthentic if it's not really who we are at our core eventually you're going to fry out it's going to make you unhappy and you know find a job or find an opportunity where that's not um where that's not a critical success factor you know kevin so i have to share with you you just told the dolph goldenberg story <laughs> <laughs> because the last few years I've been pretty public about this where um, I had one executive director job where I just was not a good fit and I kind of I kind of had a sense in my gut going in and I ignored my gut I let my head speak instead of my gut and as you said you know because you, you even said you can still be successful and like the organization grew while I was there and it grew during the great recession but it was at such a high emotional toll to myself by the time I was done and it's funny because like when I gave my notice, 
I gave three months notice and like, can you give 18? And we eventually agreed on 10 months notice. But, you know, by the time I was done, like literally I was, I was a burned empty shell. So yeah, I mean, that's totally my story. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we talked about introversion versus extroversion, but there's lots of ways in which like, you know, if, if, if it's a very hierarchical organization that's really structured and like, that's not who you are. If you're super egalitarian and you want to, or the reverse, if you like structure, if you like hierarchy and you go to work in an organization where what's real is that everybody weighs in on everything, like, again, you can, you can show up that way for, for a period of time. But what ends up then is you have a bunch of two year hops on your resume. And then a guy like me or a gal like me or a person like me gets your resume and sees, you know, six, two year stints. And we don't, I don't even, I just put that to the side. I can't, I can't send that to a client. Could not agree with you more. You know, I, and I, I don't really do a lot of chief executive hiring, but I do a lot of other hiring, especially when I'm in interim. And when I see a bunch of 18 month stints, I'm like, no, uh uh-uh. yeah. <laughs> you know, just about the time you know how to do this job, you're yeah. going to be looking for a new one. No, that that's not a good fit. I think whatever whatever makes you you and understandably like your understanding of that over your career is going to change and develop. But whatever it is that makes you you, whatever it is, like cuz that's what's going to make the difference. It's not what's on your resume. Whatever makes you you, like turn the brights on those lights and just bring, you know, bring all of that this gets a little metaphysical, but the more you can bring your whole self to that conversation, the better. You know what I mean? Like, don't be afraid of being whatever, outspoken, flamboyant, you know, sense of humor. You know, I find people who who are kind of humorless sometimes so serious going through the interview that you would never know out of that context, they're hilarious. Like, you know, and I, I'm overly familiar. I am pretty, I mean, not direct because I'm not confrontational but like if i see something i'll name it and i'll just talk about it you know in a way and that's you know that's who i am and in my business when i go out and pitch right i talk to organizations who want to hire a search consultant if that doesn't work for you don't hire me because that's what i'm going to bring to the search process that's how i'm going to be you know here's here's a story I um, used to work in a really big search firm, okay? And there was a guy who worked in our Washington, D.C. office. That guy was connected to everybody. It was unbelievable how connected this guy was. So as a result of that, he would get all these searches. And then, as big firms do, he would get the search. He would go, he would sell, he would pitch, they would love him, he would sell the search, and then he'd say, oh, I'm going to have um, our partner in our LA office is going to work on the search with me, and then he would hand the work off to me. Okay, I had maybe the most miserable search experience of my life with a great organization, with great people that hired my colleague in Washington and got me to do the search. Everything about me annoyed them. <laughs> like my values and their values were not aligned. The way I like to run meetings, the way I made my, like none of that stuff worked for them. And it was miserable. And the search was really hard. Um, and I think they were difficult. I'm sure they thought I was awful too. But the, but the search took too long. Anyway, it was, it was horrible. And you know what? If I had gone to that meeting and I had pitched and I had told my story and they had seen, you know, interacted with me, they wouldn't have hired me. And that was the right call. But 
I was the, you know, I was the sort of, I was the second chair in that. And, and my job was to, you know, make sure the cert got signed. But I'm telling you, if I had gone as my authentic self and had the conversation with that group of people, they would not have hired me and they would have been right. Yeah, it's funny. I say all the time, kind of like you, I, you know, do a lot of engagements every year. And I would rather not get the engagement and have peace of mind and have a good life than get the engagement and have a really, really terrible life. But one one of the things I just got to jump in real quick and say is um, at my website, SuccessfulNonprofits.org, on the blog, I've got a list of 14 questions that I think every nonprofit should ask prospective consultants. And one of those questions is, will you be doing the work or will somebody else? Because regardless of what the answer is, you want to meet the person who will actually be doing the work. 100%. Another question for that list off topic is how many other um, engagements will you be doing at the same time? Because when, you know, and if you're a consultant in a big firm, you have a revenue number you have to hit, which means you got to do a bunch of searches at once. So yeah, it's, it's perfectly great question to say how many other, how many ways you're going to be splitting your time. Kevin, that's a great additional question. And I'll have to look if it's not already on there, it'll now be 15 questions you should ask <laughs> your perspective think- consultant. And this whole idea about bringing your whole self to it, which I know particularly earlier in your career is so scary, but it is so important. Like, just be you. Be, be you on 11. Because um, that's, that's what people are going to respond to. That's what's going to make you stand out. Are you going to get every job? No. Should you get every job? No. Should you get a job that's going to make you miserable and burn out? No. Because it's not only miserable in the job you're in, then you bring all that baggage and all that fatigue and all that, you know, sort of... All that stuff, like we always say, don't bring the old crazy to the new girl. Don't bring the old <laughs> job to the new to the new job. You know what I'm saying? And and to that point, um, I, I get a, I get a lot of questions about like resume questions about how do I do a resume to you know get the ne- the next job or whatever. So I this is the other thing that I always tell people is like inject yourself into that resume. First of all, remember a resume. A resume gets you an interview. It doesn't get you a job, right? A resume gets you an interview. An interview gets you probably a job. But who you are in that job makes you successful or not successful. Mm-hmm. So if the more I, – I, I get resumes sometimes where it's like I have no sense of the human behind the piece of paper. None, right? None. So I think whatever you can do to inject your self – into that document is good. I got a, a, a client sent me his daughter's resume. She's very early career. And I got this resume and I said, like, I know you, you're an amazing dad. I've met her. She's amazing. And this resume gives me no sense that there's even a human being behind this. I got on the phone with her and helped her a little bit. You know, I think every resume should include at the top um, a summary, just call it a summary, an executive summary which is three or four good, pithy sentences that tell the reader of that document who you are and why they should care. It can't be much longer than three or four sentences. So it is. it requires some discipline. But like if you have a crazy sense of humor, that should show through. If you're like a super high achieving type A, like, you know, win every time at bat, somehow that should get woven in there. If you're deeply mission driven, like what you really care about is fixing, like that should be in there. So, so one of the things I think I hear you say then is to not Google 
10 best objectives for a resume and pick one and put that on there, you actually have to sit down and write that three or four sentence summary of who you are professionally and as a person. If you're like C-suite or C-suite uh, adjacent level, you can have five sentences. You're not writing a diary entry. But just four, three, four, maybe five sentences that tell us who you are. And you put that at the top of your resume. I often say follow that up with a list of bullet points that are skills and accomplishments, okay? And then get into the body of your resume. Because what that allows you to do is set the frame for how a reader is gonna see you. I see resumes where the first thing on there is education, right? And unless you have like eight degrees from the best schools in the world, like put your education at the bottom of the resume, right? And I also have to share with you, I mean, I have, literally, I have two degrees from a state school in the state of Georgia, from Georgia State University, and I adore my alma mater, but I have supervised many people with Ivy League degrees where you went to school only gets you so far. And typically that's your first job. And after that, it doesn't get you that much. No, that's right. And again, what you're doing is setting the frame for how people are going to see you. Like if you want to be like, oh, this is a person who went to a great school, that doesn't help me much in knowing whether to hire you at all. So I would say, again, you know, people have short attention span. Like for, for me, let's, let's, let's look through the lens of a recruiter. Do you know how many resumes I look at? A zillion. A zillion. <laughs> That's a great scientific exact number. I love it. <laughs> I see a ton of resumes, a ton of resumes, you know, and it's, it's really easy to tell by a resume how much, how thoughtful or how intentional a person has been about writing a resume for this job. You know, we're going to, we have a whole conversation on do's and don'ts of resumes, but I do, I, again, I, I, I would, I would say as a general rule for everybody, Remember back in the day, like when I went to college, you were supposed to have an objective. Objective, okay? That's, uh -uh, leave that with the Flintstones and their foot-powered car. We're not doing that anymore. It should be uh, an a, a summary. And that summary should be who you are. Yes, professionally, but also who you are. Like why you care, you know? And then follow it up with a list of bullet points. So if someone was too busy to read the narrative, they could look at the bullet points and understand from the bullet points, like, what your core areas of expertise, most important personal values, like just bullet points, and then get into the into the rest of the resume because with the summary and then with this list of bullet points, you've already set my mind for how I'm going to interpret or view the rest of your resume. And that is much more meaningful to me in the work I do than, than where you went to school, even if it's a great school. Now, there's some, if you're in academia, there's some obsession. But I'm saying if you're in a nonprofit organization, and I'm a, not a hiring manager in nonprofit, I want people in that organization who are aligned with who we are and what we do. And I, I can't tell that by where you went to school. Especially, maybe your first job out of school, leave your, your education up there. But after that, get it to the bottom and get some life in your resume. So you've gone through the interview process and you're now negotiating for salary, compensation, all of that. Give our listeners some tips about how to negotiate the best deal for themselves. I will start by saying eight out of 10 people suck at this. I'm one of them. <laughs> like I am a hundred times better at getting you a killer deal as an agent, as a third party than I am ever for myself. So I, first thing I would say was like, bring somebody into that conversation with you, bring somebody in that conversation with you who knows who you are and can support you. 
So are you saying have someone that you can kind of call and bounce ideas off of? Or well, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm not saying bring an agent to negotiate because we tend to, particularly those folks in nonprofit, and I work with a lot of sort of underrepresented or marginalized, you know, professional populations, we tend to undervalue ourselves, right? Cisgender, apparently cisgender straight white men don't have this problem, but everybody else does. So we tend to undervalue ourselves a little bit. That's one. So yeah, you need, you need a cheerleader who can who can not your mom because she thinks you're worth more than you actually are but you need a cheerleader who can who can really support you in like um figuring that out one thing is we are all worth more on the open market than we are in the jobs we have no matter where you are or who you are somebody else is going to pay you more to come there than you are making right now so that's a good thing to know first of all and the other thing i i think to be thoughtful but realistic and maybe put a little effort into research and understanding like sort of what the peer group who have your job do. And that information is sort of available if you're willing to dig for it um, a little bit. If you're going to be, if you're applying for a CEO job or considered for a CEO job, like you really have to think of it in terms of what percentage of the total revenue you're if you're going to work for a budget, sorry, with an organization whose budget is $2 million, don't ask for $200,000 because it would be fiscally irresponsible to ask the board who has a fiduciary responsibility organization, right, to pay you that much because of what it represents as a total, a, a portion of the total budget. I think it is perfectly reasonable if you're moving up a step to look at getting, you know, an 18 or a 20% increase. Um, I would also say um, that to be like just the work of saying of, of being clear and being anchored in like I'm this is what I need to make this change. You also mentioned that you're always more valuable somewhere else than you are in your current organization. And for some reason, that caused me to remember a moment when I asked for a mentoring moment with our dear friend Lori Elgin at the LA Center. And I was negotiating an executive director position. And I, so essentially, you know, I, I was like, I just, I need some tips and some advice because gosh, you know, you seem great at everything you do. And this has been tough for me at times. And one of the things she told me, and it was so powerful. First, she asked a question. She said, well, they've offered the job to you. I'm like, yes, they have. And she said, they've offered it a certain amount and certain benefits and vacation, et cetera. I'm like, yes, they have. And she said, then you need to reply back with absolutely everything you want. Because at this point, they have everything to lose if you turn down the job and nothing to gain. They've already decided you're the top candidate. They've already offered you the position. And so, you know, figure out what it is you want and ask for that. Because once you accept the job, they're not going to give it to you in a year or two years. And far too often, people accept the job thinking, well, once I get in, I'll prove my worth and I'll get more money or get more vacation time or whatever. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, we always say, take the offer for the job that you want, not the job that might come if you take this job. Like, well, we're hiring a deputy director, but our CEO is going to retire, so we envision this person moving. No, don't take that. Don't take that job because you're going to be CEO. Take that job because you're going to be a deputy director because you may never make it to the CEO job. So that's true. Yeah, and I think I think Lori's point is really is well taken. And I who's going to tell Lori Jean she's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I love Lori Jean's powerhouse. But yeah, ask for what you think you're worth with this one caveat: like, don't be ridiculous. 
Okay. Because one risks kind of exposing some, a lack of professional maturity by asking for something that's unreasonable. I'll tell you an example. I was trying to negotiate a good offer for a candidate who was early career, going to be a first time at bat CEO. So, you know, obviously we knew we wanted to move this candidate from where I'm not going to gender this person, where this person was to where we wanted this person to be. And this person in justifying what they were going to ask this board for chose as a peer group against whom to benchmark four of the highest paid, longest serving CEOs in the movement, literally. And I could not get through to this candidate. Like that's, that's not your peer group. It really isn't. Um, and it, it went badly because the offer that the counter offer that went back, the board just all rolled their eyes and threw a pie, you know, threw paper in the air and said, this is, and it, um, it ended up reflecting really, really, really poorly on that person and ended up, you know, people had real questions about judgment and like it was, it was out there. So yes, ask for what you want within reason. And again, that's why like bring somebody in the conversation who can help you sort of figure out if what you're asking for is going to have the opposite of the intended effect, which is to make people want you less um, rather than more. But yeah, there's nothing wrong, especially if you're at that point where you know they want you to ask for ask for what you want. I also absolutely agree with you. It's like, ask for what you want, but also know how much of what you bring, what it's worth. Really understand the value of what you bring. You know what the secret um, solution, the secret key to this is, is everybody should know an executive search person, right? I mean, you should, you should be on their radar screen and have enough of a, of a, <laughs> or a recruiter or somebody, because that's the person you want to call and say, hey, I'm going to do this. Does this make sense to you? You know, you're 100% right about that, too. Everyone, I mean, every, it's not bad. Everyone should know a Kevin Chase. All right. So that's the first thing. You know. <laughs> if you, like if you only get one takeaway, and by the way, you know, you know, Kevin, we, we batch record the podcast. We've done a few today. And so this might be the second or third time to say, oh my gosh, I think I know what, what today's title, the episode title might be. And in this case, it might be everyone should know a Kevin Chase. Everyone should add Kevin Chase on LinkedIn. No, um, but seriously, <laughs> it's not it's not a bad like career strategy to know like a search person or two who's good, who works in your field. And I will say it is deeply unfortunate, but there is a wide variance among search professionals of who's you know sort of good and ethical and you know this whole thing about hiring like an organization should hire a search consultant that they like and feel like is going to represent them and like when you figure out who your search buddy is like find someone who right who who you trust who you feel like is gonna take good care of you look at the work they've done almost every search person will have a list on their website of the kinds of searches they've done who they've placed where they've placed them so you choose that carefully but yeah it's like these things nobody's this is another thing that nobody really gets the handbook for how to do this so we all kind of make it up as we get along and somebody who has a mentor going back to that right someone who has a mentor or, or who has a relationship with a search person who does this all day every day are good, like just kind of allies to have in your personal kind of kitchen cabinet of people who you strategize about your career with. Taking us back to the top, I think, again, this whole idea about setting aside a portion of your capacity, 15%, 20%, 
to think about what's next is so critical and to be strategic and thoughtful and intentional about that. And, you know, what we've talked about any number of things that you can do, but yeah, find, you know, work with a recruiter who, you know, does a lot of great work in your, in your world. Like I have, I take those calls all the time. I love it. I mean, it's a, it's a break from my regular, what I do. I love, and again, I will do a hundred percent better job advocating for you and helping you get the best deal than I feel comfortable doing for myself. Well, Kevin, I am so glad that you've joined us on the podcast today. This has been a great conversation, but I am not letting you go without an off-the-map question. I know technically we're out of time, but too bad, Kevin. You can't go until we got an off-the-map question. I'm all good. I'm also looking at my notes to see if any pithy pearls of wisdom I didn't get to say. I thought about asking you about the time that you danced with Marie Osmond, and I decided (laughs) not to. I thought about asking you about the time that you were on a reality baking competition show. And yeah. I decided not to. <laughs> there were that s- one's on Netflix, though. <laughs> Osmonds was too long ago. We were still etching <laughs> images in stone tablets. That was a long time ago. Surely we can YouTube that, though. Like yeah, You can even YouTube, like, I love Lucy on... on- no, thank God the Osmonds <laughs> archive is not online. I think I've got a great one that will help listeners get to know you, but I'm sure they can probably Google about your reality baking competition and see that too. In fact, maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is on Netflix, so it's streaming forever for better or for worse. Or at least Netflix is forever, which means because, you know, all tech companies go out of business in like 15 years or whatever. So Netflix is forever. The only Netflix caveat is that that is not a fantastic representation of all that I'm capable of in the baking area. So if you watch Netflix, you have to immediately go add at Kevin's Cakes LA on Instagram to see real cakes. There you go. That's even better. That's the rule. (laughs) Okay. So we will also, by the way, uh, link to that Instagram in the show notes. So people, (laughs) as well as as your LinkedIn profile. So if people want you as their baking mentor or their search mentor, Kevin, they're going to get you. They're going to get you. (laughs) But so the off the map question, I know that you have lived in New York City and in Los Angeles, the two bi-coastal biggies, if you will. My off-the-map question is much more of an on-the-map question. It's hypothetical. Let's say that New York and L.A. joined together and passed an ordinance that made it illegal for search consultants to live within the city limits or within 50 miles of the walls of the city. I know that sounds very Shakespearean, but, you know, within 50 miles of the walls of the city. So, obviously, then, you got to move out of L.A. and you can't move back to New York. Where are you moving to? I mean... Like, I think we're supposed to be apolitical here, but girl, I'm moving to Canada. Is what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm moved to Vancouver. I love it. Well, and just you know, my husband and I were looking at the possibility of Uruguay because it's one of the ten friendliest LGBTQ countries in the world. So I'm I'm right there with you. I'm like, yeah, if we're moving, it's probably out of the country. I'm going to Canada. I'm going to live with Justin Trudeau. Thank you very much. I would move to Vancouver. I think it's. I think it's a stunning city and a great quality of life. Or I'd move to Spain. And I was going to say, I'd be willing to bet Vancouver also has executive search consultants. So see, you you could still work. Exactly. I'll have to go start a career again and do all the things that I'm talking about other people doing for myself in Vancouver. (laughs) There you go. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for returning to the Successful Nonprofits podcast today. I really wish that I had known you 25 years ago when I was a baby gay professional fresh out of college because you would have given me some amazing advice and I probably would not have made some of the career mistakes that I did. (laughs) 
So, listeners, you can find Kevin at kevinchasesearch.com. And as I said, we're going to link to his LinkedIn page on the show notes, his Instagram page, although that's about baking, his Netflix reality show special. And uh, and so make sure you go to the show notes and you will be able to see Kevin there. Uh, and then the other thing I want to make sure folks know is if you want to see what searches Kevin is currently running, I think listeners can find that at your website too, right? Yeah, kevinchasesearch.com, and then you just click on the current searches page, and I'll, everything we're working on presently is up there. Perfect. Hey, Kevin, thanks so much. My pleasure. It was great to be back. Thanks for having me. Are you daydreaming right now about getting a call from Kevin? And let me tell you something, listeners. Anytime you get a call from Kevin, even if he's not calling about a search, it's always a great call, and you always want to pick up the phone. But did he call you? And he's asking you to apply for the CEO position at the nonprofit that inspired you to choose your career? If that's the case, I'm not going to interrupt you. Just know that after you hang up the phone with Kevin, if he failed to give you his URL, you can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and we have linked not only his URL, but everything else we talked about, Instagram, Netflix, LinkedIn, the whole nine yards. Oh, and by the way, I was committed to doing one sports reference because Kevin and I had one sports reference in episode 12. So I got it. Check. Got it done. That's our show for this week, listeners. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment.